And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where my partner Brian Winhorst of the Hoop Collective left me early, ditched me on the floor after Game 3 to do television. How dare he, in the aftermath of Boston's emphatic Game 3 win, to take a 2-1 lead in the finals. And I have more stuff to say, and you're stuck with me. No guests going solo for a quickie podcast ahead of the proverbial, pivotal Game 4 in Boston. And, you know, you could look at this series a couple of ways. Number one, it's 2-1 Boston. Yeah, they have home court. Clearly, they have the edge. They're only plus nine for the series after three games, which isn't enormous. But on the other hand, I think this is as big a test as the Warriors have faced really since the 2019 finals, which is, you know, obvious is kind of obvious. But that series was weird. Durant was out. That was the drama hovering over the series. I, I think this is just a massive test for the Warriors. And if Curry, who obviously had his leg landed on, is not ready to go, I just think the test obviously gets massively larger. The Celtics are just that good, and this is a must-win for the Warriors. I know it's not technically a must-win, but with this Celtics defense, I I just don't see Boston losing three games in a row. There will be one game in there where they just shut your water off completely and defend well enough to steal a win, even if the other parts of their game aren't working. And something that Steve Kerr said after Game 3 would worry me if I were a Warriors fan. He talked about, I I believe in addressing why Kevon Looney did not play in the fourth quarter of game three talked about how we were plugging holes just trying to plug holes and that is what i said after game two when i had jeff van gundy and i thought one of the things that worries me for the warriors that they clearly just don't know who to play and so they're playing lineups that have barely played at all the curry clay gp2 wiggins draymond lineup they tried that one that played zero minutes zero in the regular season the Curry, Peyton, Wiggins, Porter, Green lineup, which I really like and, and helped them turn game two, that played three minutes in the regular season. Steve Kerr talked about how he's reluctant to play Looney because he was afraid of how bad the spacing, I think, is with him and Draymond, whose performance has not been great, and we're going to talk about that shortly. I was surprised that Peyton only played 11 minutes. I thought he was a little bit of a wild card in game two, a two-way player who did enough like screen and dive corner three kind of stuff on offense to give them a little juice, only 11 minutes and Jalen Brown shot right over him. And that was what I was worried about from the Warriors perspective. And I, I've all, as an aside, I've seen some commentary after this plugging holes or kind of about the plugging holes feel of this series that, oh, now we're back to did the Warriors blow it by not trading Moody, Kaminga, and picks for another star to complement this transcendent Steph Curry, who is absolutely transcendent, uh, and Clay Thompson recovering from injury, and Draymond Green aging before eyes. Did they blow it by not doing this? And I'm like, we're back to this again? I actually don't think that's really fair. They're in the NBA Finals. By definition, they have a good chance to win the NBA championship. And if we were praising them last week for, wow, they really thread the needle. They did it. They pulled off the finals. They're Vegas favorites to win the finals. I'm not sure it's totally fair 2-1 against an incredible team to say they've made a catastrophic mistake by squandering Steph Curry's prime by not trading all these young assets. They're facing a team that was patient with its own young players that didn't try to get over its skis. Got a lot of criticism for that. And now can you imagine if Boston didn't have Jalen Brown and also didn't have Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or something like that. And then you have the who. Who's the player you wanted the Warriors to get? Who is it? Name a player. Is Bradley Beal the answer? Are you defending well enough to win? Could they have gotten Bradley Beal? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I know that this is a confident Celtics team. 
a serious Celtics team that poses a massive threat to the Warriors, and this is going to be as tough a win to get in Boston as the Warriors have had to get in a long time. Let's talk about some stuff that I didn't quite get into on the pod last night about Boston's offense first. We'll start there. And what struck me about the Celtics' offense, we've talked all about the passing and Tatum and Brown, and particularly Tatum, through some really great quick-hitting passes uh, that we talked about after the game. I actually think Tatum set the tone early in that game by blowing by Andrew Wiggins on a pump fake. Whoops, Andrew Wiggins, by the way, sneaky, not great uh, game three defensively for him. Good aggressive game attacking the rim and all that on offense. Doesn't look super excited to shoot threes either. That is one of six. He shot six. Didn't look confident, and it drove out of some. But anyway, blows by Andrew Wiggins. Sees Draymond Green guarding Robert Williams, playing the one-on-two cat-and-mouse game that Draymond is the best, the best to ever do it at that. And Jason Tatum in game one, Jalen Brown in game one, in game two, would have seen Draymond and started to think, uh-oh, he's in my head. Uh, should I throw the lob? Oh, no, he stunted at me. Uh, the lob's there. Oh, no, the lob's not there. He's stealing my pass. Oh, should I shoot the floater? And Jason Tatum, nine minutes left or so in the first quarter, and again in the fourth quarter to bookend the game, looked at Draymond Green and said, I don't care. Now, credit Robert Williams. The lob threat that he poses occupied Draymond Green. But Jason Tatum said, Draymond, you're a defense player of the year. You're a generational defender. I'm going right at you. Let's see you block my shot let's see you challenge my shot more disturbing to me was when the Celtics went small with Horford at the five and I realized that lineup was minus I think they were minus seven in 15 minutes with Horford at the five in game three part of that was that they just happened to be on the floor for a Steph Curry avalanche and yeah Horford's defense we'll talk about it was not great against that Steph Curry avalanche that's still a good lineup and part of the reason it's a good lineup is they spread the floor five out And over and over again, we saw Smart, Brown, and especially Tatum get the Curry switch, which the Warriors have been giving a lot in this series, and just say, spread the floor, I'm bullying you all the way to the rim. Tatum had the best example of that at some point in the second half. And the help either comes off a shooter or the paint is wide open. And to me, that raises the question of like, okay, can the Warriors even give that switch anymore when the Celtics go five out is it safe to do that because you started to see them send more dramatic help toward those drives and that unlocked shots threes but it also put them in rotation there was one drive where Horford caught it and had Curry on him because of those rotations and took him all the way to the rim and bullied him and you better believe they are going to try to bully Steph Curry in game four if they think his foot is at all limited and so it makes you wonder are we going to see more of what they started to mix in a bit more of? Not zone, not zone. The zone kind of hasn't worked. They've got away from it. But they started to mix in more of those curry hard hedges that we saw against Luka Doncic over and over and over again. Where, okay, the switch is killing us, particularly when the Celtics are five out. We're going to have him hedge and try to recover, you know, bump Jason Tatum off his path and try to recover. And they even threw a couple hard double teams at Tatum when he did get that switch. If they try to keep Curry out of that switch, the Celtics have already shown that they're ready. Even in the second half of Game 3, when they saw that hedge coming, on a couple of possessions, they gave Tatum a release valve. They had Smart or White, in particular, lift up toward the top of the arc on the wing so he had an easy kickout pass, and they can play four on three from there. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't that efficient or effective, but you could see them thinking, okay, if they're going to do this, this is what we're going to do. And by the way, 
tip of the hat to the Celtics. I don't think I've seen anyone really write about this stat. Guess who's first in assist rate for the entire NBA playoffs? The Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics who Marcus Smart called out, they don't want to pass. We don't pass it very well. 67% of their baskets in the full playoffs have been assisted on. That would have been number one in the regular season. That's out-warriorsing the Warriors, at least in terms of raw assist rate. Obviously, the Warriors do it in a totally different way. In the finals, 73% of Boston's baskets have been assisted on. That is just absolutely tremendous work by the Celtics sort of reinventing themselves. And they killed the Warriors on the offensive glass when they went big in uh, game three. And I think they have other tools that they can go to. You know, those sideline pin downs for Tatum and Brown, those are always good. When Looney was on the floor, Tatum kind of went at him on switches when they gave that switch. We could see more of that. And anytime you have Curry's guy or Poole's guy screen for Tatum and Brown off the ball, they're getting good looks because the Warriors don't want to switch that, and they're getting themselves in, into rotation and into trouble. So I'm interested to see how the Warriors sort of navigate all of those questions. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. All right, let's turn to the Warriors offense, which has basically been Steph and pray that someone else showed up. And Clay showed up in game three. Welcome, Clay. Good to see you. Game six. Nah, not quite game six, Clay, but it was nice to see Clay have a good game after all he's gone through. And by the way, I, I keep seeing on TV, you know, is it a bad sign that the Warriors squandered a Clay Thompson game? That they squandered it as if they're just almost willfully not winning the basketball game. The Boston Celtics are awesome. They're hard to beat. Just because Steph and Clay combined for 56 points doesn't mean you're going to beat the Celtics. You have to do more than that on the road to beat the Celtics. So I don't I don't like that kind of entire framing. But so far in the series the Warriors have averaged 110 points per 100 possessions. That's bad for them. It's probably about league average for the regular season. They were at 116 in the playoffs number 1 before this series. Their points per possession in the half court it's ugly, people. It's ugly. 
it would rank about 17th or 18th in the regular season, according to cleaning the glass. And, and that just gets to the, the point of Boston's half-court defense has been absolutely fantastic. They are taking away, let's say, 8 out of 10 of the split cuts, the back cuts, all the beautiful game handoffs, fancy stuff that gets the Warriors going. Golden State can't get any of that on 8 of 10 possessions. Yeah, 2 out of 10. They're so good. They're so smart. They're so clever. They'll get a clay back cut to a Draymond dunk. They'll get a handoff that works. They'll get a split switch where they get a backdoor cut out of it because they're the Warriors. They're awesome. But the Celtics are really taking a lot of that away and forcing the Warriors to redirect more and more of their offense towards Steph Curry pick and rolls. And I think the degree to which that has happened has actually been exaggerated. Curry has run 30, 35, and in game three, 39 pick and rolls in this series. Those are high numbers for him. The 39 is like the seventh or eighth most he's run in a game this season. But they're not crazy, crazy high. And I think there's a perception that, oh, my God, that's all they're doing. Steph has to be running the most pick and rolls he's ever run. That's not happening. And I actually think it's interesting, given his foot issues that may or may not hamper him in game four, how far can they push that? Because, like, it's easy to say, run more pick and roll. Steph Curry, look at Al Horford. He's too far back. Okay, we set the screen at half court. Now Al Horford's really too far back. Oh, Al Horford contained this one. Here's another screen on going the other way, a rescreen. Al Horford, you're toast. Another three. That's hard work for Steph. And the Celtics, for all of the attention on sort of the bloopery plays, the mishap plays where, yeah, Al Horford, you can't be straddling the three-point arc or have both feet below it when that screen hits Steph's guy. That's it. That's death from above. You're done. You're toast. You got to be higher. And I think the Celtics can have Al Horford come out a little bit higher on those plays without compromising the rest of their defense, without going into a full trap that unlocks the four-on-threes that we have seen beat teams for 10 years now between Steph and Draymond. Okay, 10 years is a little exaggeration, but close to 10 years. I think the Celtics can just come up a little bit higher and, and try to contain that way. And obviously, the Warriors have antidotes for that, and I think we'll see them amp up the complexity of their pick-and-roll game in Game 4, specifically because they know now if Steph can do it, it's got to be the engine to our half-court offense. I think we'll see screen-the-screener actions, one of their pet plays we haven't seen much of where Looney will slam Draymond's guy with a pick in the paint, and Draymond will come up and set a screen for Steph, and the defense is scrambled and out of place, and oh, my God, Steph hit another three. I think we'll see staggered screens, two guys screening for Steph in a row just to confuse Boston, just to give them a different look. Those half-court picks really worked. I think we'll see more of that, but I I do want to applaud Boston. There were a lot of calls for them to blitz Curry, trap Curry, get the ball out of his hands, make the other guys beat them. I think they were smart to not heed those calls. And I said this before game two. I think they were smart to not over-adjust, to trust Derek White to get over screens, to trust Al Horford and Rob Williams enough times, particularly Rob Williams, who's a human pogo stick that is in your head, even if you're Steph Curry, to trust them to step up high enough that Steph's got to either keep on driving, take a long two, and you're happy if Steph takes a long two, even if he's one of the greatest shooters of all time. That's almost a sigh of relief for you. And not let the Warriors get into the other stuff. Not let Draymond catch the ball four on three with a head of steam. Yeah, it looks really bad when they screw up. 
and we all highlight it and they do have to be better like they're they're risking they're risking an avalanche that could win the warriors a game steph is fully capable of winning this game by himself of scoring 45 points like jimmy butler won game six of the conference finals by himself they're risking that if they don't clean it up a little bit if they're not a little more airtight but overall i think it's it's hard to argue with the broader scheme and and i just have to say the rest of it the splits the back cuts the handoff game the celtics defense on that has just been incredible and i want to highlight just a couple of examples if you really want to see incredible defense two plays to whet your appetite eight minutes left in the first quarter the celtics have already gone small which was quite interesting that they that they went small so early in both halves and when they go small they put smart on draymond green and allow him to be a rover behind the play ignoring draymond green to muck up the paint and they put white on curry and i think smart has actually been better on draymond than he's been on curry and white has been better on curry than smart has both of them though obviously outstanding work so anyway this play you watch this play you want to see textbook defense watch this play curry looney pick and roll to try and hunt who's ever on looney i don't remember probably horford draymond green's in the weak side corner marcus smart says that's cool man i don't care you're not going to shoot you got the backpack on i'm not guarding you i'm in the paint so that steph and looney see me a third defender there's nothing there steph kicks the ball to draymond green this this moment is where the warriors have killed you for 10 years Draymond Green catches the ball wide open. Marcus Smart is literally, they measured it at ESPN Stats and Info, 17 feet away from Draymond Green. And what does Draymond Green do? What we've seen him do a million times. Hand off with Klay Thompson, who just so happens to be standing next to him. This is the Golden State Warriors yo-yo. Marcus Smart, you've got to be all the way in, and then you've got to be all the way out. And guess what? Marcus Smart sprinted all the way out, got a hand in the face of Klay Thompson, missed three. That's what you need to do against the Warriors defense. Another possession with 320 left is second quarter. Curry and Gary Payton run a pick and roll because Horford's guarding Gary Payton. One of the reasons that Gary Payton didn't make an impact, the Celtics can put their centers on him. I will hunt him. We'll see what happens. Oh, look at what the Celtics are doing. They're switching Horford out of the play as Payton's on the way up. They're switching him off the play early, pre-switching him. Horford peels out over to Draymond Green. And Marcus Smart peels on to Gary Payton. Well, the Warriors sniff it out. They're a genius team, and they sniff it out. Curry whips the ball to Draymond Green, thinking, okay, we'll catch them mid-switch. Al Horford's not there yet. We've got a window. But guess what? Al Horford's getting there pretty damn fast, but the Warriors are pretty damn fast too. Curry runs to Draymond Green. Draymond Green pitches it to Steph Curry. We've seen this a million times. It's going to be a three. We've seen it a million times. Nope. Derek White's there, stride for stride, over the pick. Al Horford's there on the other side. Reset. Curry and Green run a pick and roll going left, going into the middle of the floor. Dangerous play. Guess what? It doesn't work because Marcus Smart sees Gary Payton II, his new man, at the top of the arc and says, you're a corner three-point shooter. You're not an arc three-point shooter. I'm ignoring you to clog up this play. And it ended in some desperation heave and shot clock violation. That's what the Celtics are doing over and over and over again against the Warriors' beautiful game, taking it away with high IQ, high urgency, high energy defense. There's a reason this was the best defensive team in the NBA by far after about January 15th.
Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And the Warriors, look, they're just not getting that stuff. And I think that's a big reason, and now we get to the headliner, why Draymond Green has been a non-entity in this series. Because that's how Draymond Green gets going. The handoffs, the quarterback keepers, the backdoor cut passes. That's how Draymond Green gets 8, 9, 10, 11 assists in a game. We have not seen that hardly at all from him because he's not getting that stuff. And it goes to the larger point. The most important stat in this series is turnovers. If Boston takes care of the ball and they are, they had 12 turnovers in game three, perfect. That's fine. Only four in the second half. If Boston takes care of the ball and doesn't flail around around the rim when they miss layups and whine and all that, the Warriors cannot beat them. The Warriors need turnovers because they turn those turnovers into threes. Or if the defense panics, and sometimes you do see three guys run at Curry even when he doesn't have the ball in transition, they get dunks. Without that, they are not going to score enough against Boston's defense to win this series. And part of that is because Draymond is just a total non-threat now. The Celtics deserve some to most of that credit for taking away all the stuff that makes him a threat. And I expect Draymond to come out throwing himself at the basket in game four, throwing himself at the rim, trying to get free throws, trying to get to the line, trying to do something to ignite his offense. But this is not like a new thing for Draymond in these playoffs. Unfortunately, one of my favorite players to watch of the last 10 or 15 years. This is a guy who averaged like 12, 13, 14, 16 even one year points a game in the playoffs. He's at eight now. We know the jumper's broken. That's gone. It's over. That's done. The Celtics will be thrilled if he starts launching threes. They're not, he can make five in a row. They're not guarding him. The two-point shooting frequency is way down. His shots are down. His free throws are down. His assists are down. He just doesn't look as aggressive or confident attacking the basket and that's not a Celtic series thing those are playoff long numbers he's had a really up and down postseason and if he's a total non-entity on offense if the passing 
and the quarterback keepers and all that fancy stuff is gone, that's why Steve Kerr's plugging holes. That's why he's trying to see, okay, can I play Peyton with Draymond? I know that's two non-shooters, but is Peyton dynamic enough to make it work? He can guard Tatum, he can guard Brown, maybe that. Well, no. Oh, we need Otto Porter. We need Otto Porter shooting. Okay, let's try that. Well, that's a better lineup. Is you know, is do, do we have enough defense with Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Porter, Draymond? Quietly, the Celtics kind of went at Otto Porter a couple times one-on-one when they got favorable matchups in game three. Something to keep an eye on, I think, because it, it feels like they kind of really need Otto Porter. Oh, oh, should we go big and, and try to play Looney and just kill them on the offensive glass and, and try to play big and win that way? Maybe, maybe we'll see more of that. Is that going to work? Is that going to work if Draymond Green doesn't make shots, doesn't try to make shots? And that's the thing. It's easy for us to say, well, Draymond Green's got to shoot more. He's got to shoot more. What shots do you want him to shoot? If they don't get out in transition, what shots do you want him to shoot? Do you want him to shoot threes, really? want him to shoot long twos? Other than that, in the half court, it's going to be Draymond throwing himself at the basket, trying to get layups. And, yeah, he'll get a quarterback keeper here and there. He'll, he'll find some slip cuts. He got a dunk. His only basket in game three was off a clay backdoor cut. Other than that, like what shots are on the menu that you want him to take against this defense? Because I, I said this, I mean, maybe four years ago in a column and a podcast that I was very interested to see what would happen if Draymond Green lost 5% of his athleticism, 10% of his athleticism, because he's such a game of inches player. He's, he's not a great jumping athlete. He's not huge, although he has a long wingspan. He's not very tall. He's fast on his feet. He's one of the smartest basketball players who has ever lived. And that brain allows him to be at the right place at the right time and compensate for some of the, those physical limitations. He's an undersized by far center. And he gets a lot of his rim challenges, his verticality, his shot blocks, his contest at the rim. It's because he's early and he's just got enough bounce. I'm talking about prime Draymond. Just got enough bounce to be up in your face. And I just always wondered back then, the same brain, the same fast feet, whatever. If he just loses 5% of that bounce, how much of his effectiveness goes with him? Now, I think defensively he's been okay to very good in this series. But maybe that's what's happened to him offensively. He just doesn't look comfortable finishing at the rim. He doesn't look comfortable going to the rim. And I wonder if all those layups he used to make, all of those, they were always sort of like you felt like they were on a knife's edge, like high off the glass, flailing around, weird angles. And he would make them because he's a good player with good touch. Uh, he's just not shooting as many of them anymore. And so it's easy for us to say, shoot more, shoot more, shoot more. And I'm like, well, what? What shots is he going to get? Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I expect him to try and throw himself at the rim. And I'm very curious to see what Draymond brings in game two and in game four rather and i think oh by the way here's a, here's another stat this is a crazy stat you want to know the degree to which the warriors beautiful game has just been absolutely vaporized in this series steph curry in this series is four of seven on catch and shoot threes and 14 of 30 on pull-ups his pull-up attempts 30 catch and shoot seven quadruple pull-up attempts in the regular season he averaged five catch and shoot threes a game and 6.5 pull-up attempts the celtics have taken away all the catch and shoot looks and forced him to operate completely off the dribble again it'll be interesting to see how how far they can really stretch him or if they can get more of those easy looks that the boston celtics have taken away 
and I do expect them to run more sort of floppy action for Clay and Steph coming off whoever the Celtics centers are guarding. They got some good looks off of that because they don't want those centers switched on to Curry or Clay. They got some good clean looks. They missed some of them. Some of them went in. I expect to see more of that. Obviously, they're going to they're gonna try to run. And by the way, speaking of the Celtics bigs, when the Warriors played that small ball lineup with Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Porter, and Green, they had their two big men. They played big, big, big against the Warriors small ball lineup. They had one of the big men, Al Horford, guard Andrew Wiggins, and the other, Time Lord, who was sensational, and they don't win that game without Time Lord, guard Otto Porter. They kept a wing on Draymond Green to switch everything. And if the Celtics can play big against that lineup and the Warriors can't find a way to use Porter or Wiggins, whether it's his pin down screeners, ball screeners, cutters, something to punish that alignment, they are in major, major trouble in this game. But I'll tell you what, this Warriors team has proven a lot over the years. They're incredibly mentally tough, incredibly mentally tough. I said at the opening that I think this is going to be one of the toughest wins they've ever had to get as a group, or at least this core group. By the way, can Jordan Poole show up a little bit uh, other than one quarter? That's a different story. I, I also think this is going to be a tough win for Boston to get because I think this is going to be the do-or-die effort, do-or-die urgency for the Warriors. We know what Stephen Clay can do. I always think back to that Game 5 in Toronto, which is the game where KD got hurt, and they stole that game when Toronto was about to start the parade because Steph and Clay just went off for two minutes, patented Warriors stuff, just haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And if they start doing that, they can win this game. And I think they're going to come out with a monster, monster effort and just the sort of the energy you would expect in an elimination game. So I cannot wait for game four tomorrow. I think I have finally exhausted my thoughts on this series so far we haven't had a classic yet we haven't had a classic yet let's speak it into existence let's have a classic and uh i will see you all on the floor with brian windhorse after game four